is the yay with uh, Norm G and Reg Clay. Norm is actually on a plane. He's flying to Chicago to visit family and also um, he has a, a 30th, no, 40th anniversary uh, with his high school. But I have a guest, Conrad. I want to get your last name right. Panganiban? Panganiban. Oh, I nailed it. There you go. Right on. Thank you. <laughs> Conrad, and you are... I consider you the poet, lo- I mean the the playwright laureate of Bendelstiff Studios. You've been writing plays for Bendelstiff for a long time, and yeah. you're a member of Bendelstiff, correct? I am actually. I'm uh, part of, part of the board right for Bendelstiff Studio, and yeah, it's funny. I started with writing with them in 2003. Is that right? Wow. Yeah. So three. I got to do my math. Four, five, six, seven. That's 14 years. Ah, feels that long. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, just very uh, happy though. Yeah, you know, my experiences with Bendelstiff has been fantastic as an actor. I mean, I'm looking at two um, two um, um, billboards, oh, whatever it is. it is, on my, uh, there's, um, there's uh, what is it called? Stories, Stories, Stories high, high. I think 13 and 14. And, uh, yeah, just wonderful members. I mean, Bendelstiff is just a fantastic little area, and it is the only Philippine-American theater company owned. By Filipinos, Filipino-American, yes. is that correct? Yes, so actually a Filipino-American uh, space mm-hmm. that we have and cultivate and just try to put on more productions by Filipino-American artists, by Filipino and Filipino-American subjects. Yeah, yeah, and it's fantastic. States. I mean, you know, when I first walked in, I think it was 2014, just an incredible energy of people just working together, you know, building sets and uh, acting, directing, taking part in all of it, and uh, just a wonderful energy. Oh, thank you. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. Can you tell me a little bit of the history of uh, of Bendelstiff? Yes, actually, um, first production I ever saw at Bendelstiff it was in like two thousand three, two thousand four, um, when it was on. It was still on the corner of Sixth and Howard, mm-hmm. and um, they had these shows. That the first time that I've seen Filipino Americans on stage doing their own things. Yeah. Uh, previous, because a lot of times theater artists, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. would be part of college productions called Filipino, uh, Filipino Culture Nights. Mm-hmm. And that's where people, college students, would be part of a you know, Filipino-American organization where they, would re- where they would write sketches and write like plays um, about things about the Filipino-American community and Filipino history um, and combine them with cultural dances and some songs. And that's how we would start because uh, as an immigrant – Mm-hmm. Or, or as a child of Filipino immigrants, theater was not really encouraged. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, well, you think about, you know, the, the children of immigrants, they come in because their parents, they didn't have the opportunities that we have. Right. So in order for us to have those opportunities, we should major in, well, it was encouraged to major in nursing and engineering and business. And that was my first major was mm-hmm. actually computer science. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, oh, wow. yeah. So I did that for a while, but then I got involved with this uh, PCN mm-hmm. where I wrote and directed and acted in it with no experience, no theater classes, no anything <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah. It's just what we watched on TV and uh-huh. just tried to do this. Yeah. And what, what is PCN? PCN, Filipino Culture Night. Ah, awesome. Okay. Yeah, and they still have some at these universities still, like San Francisco State. I know it's over their 40, 40th annual yeah. PCN. Yeah. Um, but because of that experience – then I found Bindlestiff, which catered to you know Filipino Americans wanting to create 
more theater. Mm-hmm. But we didn't know how. Yeah. And it was and so first time I saw this in 1989. Says, wow, all these. Filipino-Americans who aren't doing a PCN. Mm-hmm. They're doing it in a real theater. Right, I right. wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, a program that we have mm-hmm. called Stories High. Yeah. So they offer uh, classes or workshops in playwriting, in acting, and in directing. Yeah, and, and it's fantastic. I, and I've been in a couple of productions of Stories High as an actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, you really get to see, I mean, it. you know, Norman and I have talking in other um, podcasts how – you know, when you get into acting, not only uh, are you enriched by, you know, what you give to the audience, but also as an actor, you get to step into other person's shoes and other people's cultures. Mm-hmm. And I really got to see Philippine-American culture, and it's something that I had not been exposed to. I first came here to the Bay Area in 1997, and I didn't realize the huge Asian culture and also the huge Philippine culture. Now, Bindleserf has been around since how long? Oh, wow. Yes, yeah, since about 89... Yeah, about that long. Wow. So it's almost 30 years. Almost 30 years, yeah. Yeah, 28 years. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So Now, how did you get involved? I, I totally understand what you're talking about. Uh, you know, like your parents want you to be involved in just structural things. Hey, we want you to make money and, you know, you, so you can give back to the family and be successful or whatever. Um, but how did you get into playwriting? Um, well, it, well, that first piece that I wrote. Mm-hmm. And I remember I wrote it in the back of my, um, my my dad's pickup truck, and it took me about a day, and I wrote about 60 pages. Wow. And You just knocked it out. It was weird because I saw these characters, all of the, their dialogue in a dream, and I just had to write it out. And mm-hmm. from that point on, I think that's where I was hooked on trying to be a writer because I have then these stories come up, and so I'm, I'm like – I'm basically the – you know, the transcriber of these dreams yeah. that I had and some stories that I've never seen before. Had, had you written prior to doing this? Like uh, just, I don't know, like in, I'm sure you, like you've been in college, so I'm sure you had to do dissertation papers and things like that. But right. creative writing, was that the first time you did creative writing? Yes. Wow. Yeah. That is so amazing. So it was just based on, you know, just stories and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I mean, I, I, I can thank my mom because – uh, every time she'd like, we'd be watching TV and she'd flip to a movie, mm-hmm. you know, old time black and white movies. Yeah. I just sit down and watch it. I need to finish what it is and just see the story. And I, I basically just love stories. Yeah. That's yeah. I just kind of wanted to keep writing. That's amazing. And of course, you went, you subsequently went to uh, classes to, I guess, learn technique in playwriting right. and, and that sort of stuff. Like, you know, in, on our podcast, we talk about beats and objectives and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Do you have a philosophy when it comes to playwriting? Like um, when you approach a script, do you write like an outline first or how do you approach, I don't know, like let's say you have an idea in your head. What, what's the first thing you do? Yeah, actually um, the, the outline works for me in terms of getting something out um, first by so I can – I have outlines by beat, mm-hmm. so and um, I learned something from Gary Graves at Berkeley Repertory Theater where they taught. I, I took that class. That classes, yeah, yeah about um, the French scenes, mm-hmm. how scenes that just go and what he taught us is to just beat th- by the actions, not by dialogue. So this person brings out a gun. This person um, gets the gun out of his hand. This person opens the door. This person. Um, uh, puts down the dish. So all of these actions first, so then you'll have like a basic skeleton, mm-hmm. and then you could 
write dialogue into why are these people doing what they are doing. Right, right, exactly. And, yeah, Norman and I have talked about that, where if an actor, as an actor, when I pick up a script, I'm not re- I'm, I, I focus on what is the storyline, what is the objective, what is my character's objective. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily so much what are the emotions evolved, but what am I doing? You know, if, if I'm doing something, and if I, even if I don't achieve that objective, it's the objective that brings out the emotion in me. Let's yes. say I'm trying to, I don't know, um, to woo a woman. Hmm. Whether I woo the woman or not, I'm going to have an emotional reaction one way or another. And right. that's the important thing. And, and of course, yeah, go ahead. No, but the, you're correct. That is the objective now. What are you trying to do in, in terms of trying to get that objective? What is your wants and then what are your actions in, you mm-hmm. know, in putting this down on the script? Right, right, exactly. Um, and, you know, there, there are some... And to be honest, I, I've been in a part of uh, several, like let's say young, um, like I've been a part of, like the, the fringe, fringe Festivals is a good example mm-hmm. where you have young playwrights and you get a script and you don't necessarily get what the objective is or there's some issues or problems or whatever. And it helps doing rewrites. Like we, uh, the last um, podcast I had was with Christina Wren. Mm-hmm who is a fantastic playwright, and she focuses on uh, doing adaptations of uh, period pieces, Victorian pieces. and But she still has clear objectives, and she has wonderful things that the, the character still has a life and dialogue. But we talked about rewrites, and we talked about hearing the script, like do a ha- having uh, read-throughs. Mm-hmm. Do you do things like that, read-throughs? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's very, very, very much needed. Um, just so it's good to have you know, some friends that you can call mm-hmm. and to, to um, gather everyone to have this table read. But uh, it's also important to have um, what I'm uh, – my evolution of being a playwright is I'm, I want um, more interactive, yeah, like theater part pieces. So mm-hmm. during these rewrites, it's important for me to try to have an audience there as well. Yeah. Even though it doesn't have to be like, you know, a full, you know, black box theater, but mm-hmm. like, you know, five or ten other people that I that – I trust their opinions on yeah and then when we have these table reads and then they can give me feedback yeah. but it's also important that i hear what makes sense and what works and what doesn't yeah. and i um record these reads oh, um, oh cool oh definitely so yeah. i can hear those beats of, to make sure that they're clear and you know precise yeah is it excruciating i mean i'm i um, i'm a budding playwright as well and i remember doing a read through a couple of years ago and I was a bit crushed. I mean, I guess maybe I was a little bit too um, naive in thinking, hey, I do the first rewrite, it's going to be perfect, and everything will be wonderful. And, of course, oh, wait a minute, that that didn't read well, and oh, I thought the things in my head isn't coming out. Does it? Is it excruciating for you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, no, definitely. Um, that's why, I, I mean, with my training, I've been a little stiff. With yeah. stories high, I've had things that were actually read, and – I'm not going to fault the, or name the instructor, but uh, that person laughed at some of my dialogue when I didn't think it was funny. Mm, um, yeah. That was and as and that was like one of my maybe my second play that I've ever written. Yeah. And yeah, that hurt. But then again, as an artist, you try to live with that hurt and try to grow from it because there's other there, the other option is just to quit, and I just yeah. can't do that. And of course, it may have been just a natural reaction. I'm sure you get a reaction from a line that you've read and and w- that you've written. And you say, oh, wait a minute, people are reacting differently from that line. Maybe people are approaching it differently than what I've read, written. Oh, oh, yeah. absolutely. That's yeah. happened. And sometimes they'll take, they'll see poetry in some of the things that I've written when I've just 
you know, just explain it as a, a common action, but then somebody sees something into it, then mm -hmm. more than what I could have suspected. Yeah. That's a great thing. Yeah. I'm thinking about a piece that you uh, r wrote. I don't know the name of it, but I, I'm looking at the poster, Stories High. I think it would have been in 2015, I think. Mm -hmm. And it was wonderful because you just had some wonderful street vignettes. I mean, there were just people on the streets, I think, in mm -hmm. San Francisco. It may have been, I think it was a period piece in the 70s, okay. I'm thinking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You remember that? I do, I do, I do, yeah. And it was just wonderful. I mean, yeah, I there wasn't a lot of objectives or whatever. It was just people just surviving. Right. And... Um, I thought that was so cool. I mean, do you, um, can you talk a little bit about that? Oh, thank you. Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember the uh, name of the piece. <laughs> it's funny because I've, I'm trying to as well. You know, it's weird as a playwright because I've – I'm sorry. This is a little sidetrack. It's okay. One of the exercises that I've, tried, uh, that I've done for the last couple of years is called 31 Plays in 31 Days. Mm -hmm. um, it was started by uh, uh, Rachel Kessinger. Uh, I'm sorry, Rachel Boblitz. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's her wedding name, and Tracy Helpot. Mm -hmm. uh, 31 plays in 31 days is an objective to trying to write 31 plays in 31 days. Wow, that is tough. It is, and it was, but it was a fun project because mm -hmm. you have to think of what are you going to write 31 plays in 31 days? That's 31 different plots, 31 different characters, 31 mm. different things. Mm. Uh, majority of these were between you know three or five pages mm -hmm. and the longest I've written is maybe a 20 page in a day yeah um, but in a way I think that helped define my style mm -hmm. in and hearing and listening to um, people around me so I, I live in the barrier I take BART I take um, AC transit I listen to dialogue and like what you were talking about having dialogue that's that feels natural yeah it feels very much on the street and that's basically what I here yeah and um like what you said uh, what we were talking about earlier about you know writing a play in, you know 60 pages in one day and i see it as being a transcriber for everything that i've held in mm -hmm. and listen to their dialogue and what they would say as yeah. opposed to what i would say because that surprises me too what they say yeah that's weird i'm sorry i feel so um you know uh, a sociopath or you know those the the, the Sort of well, I mean, it's, it's just stream of consciousness. I mean, you're oh, writing. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's fantastic. Uh, Chris, another thing Christine and I were talking about is um, just coming up with, with um, well, also a question that I wanted to ask you. I'm sure there are times where you have to write in, we were talking about rhythm. That's what it was. Because huh. I mentioned, um, like, I think about Glengarry Glenn Ross, hmm. written by uh, David Mamet. David Mamet. And um, there's a wonderful rhythm that he has, and it's something that's just inside of him. And um, when you have to write a character that is definitely not you, let's say a woman, a female character, how difficult is that? Because you're not a woman, and let's say you have to write, let's say, a character that is not Filipino. Mm -hmm. um, how do you approach that? Do you have to do research, or do you even think about it, or do you just go for it? I, I go for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but also one of my favorite quotes is, uh, rewriting is writing. Yeah. So just to get something on the page first and then to hear it. Yeah. Um, some of my biggest heroes, mm -hmm. my mom is my biggest hero. Mm -hmm. Um, my, some of my best friends are female. Mm -hmm. So it's based of empathy with them and how they look at, uh, how to view the world through their eyes. So when I write some of my female characters, it is through their eyes. Yeah. You know, I they try you. to 
feel what they say. Mm-hmm. It's not appropriate. It, sometimes it feels appropriating because I am a man and I'm writing a female role. Mm-hmm. But because I see, I don't see as many female-led roles. Yeah, that yeah. I will write, you know, roles for them. Right. Um, and uh, we were talking earlier how table reads or and other uh, stage readings help. Uh, one of my plays that I'm still developing is called The Perfect American. Mm-hmm. I was fortunate to have it read at uh, San Francisco Playhouse. Rock awesome. With the um, with the lead uh, Sarita Akon. Okay. For Ubuntu and several other plays, but yeah. Everything that she put into this, that it was a leading role mm-hmm. uh, about a, a, a woman, uh, an immigrant, teaching other immigrants how to become the perfect American mm-hmm. um, through her lens. Yeah. And just watching her and through this read, I got to rewrite some of you know what I, what I wrote. Fantastic. But it's something that has to be initially started. It has to be get down to it and let's write it mm-hmm. and see what feels real, what feels doesn't work yeah that's a wonderful give and take where you, let's say you write something you give it to an actress actor actress and then listening to them you're like oh wait a minute let me um you know because this person is bringing in something different it's a wonderful collaboration it's almost like being a tailor and you're tailoring this play this script to fit the uh the character or the actor do you do you do that a lot Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if I see an actor that I really <coughs> always wanted to work with. Yeah. Um, and then I just, a character just comes out mm-hmm. that that would fit this kind of person. And it's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a hoot when they come in to read it, too, because this is kind of how I see you. Mm-hmm. You know, I could, I could see uh, an actor play a role in this piece mm-hmm. and then. Uh, you know, just but just finding her this the actor's rhythm, mm-hmm. and then writing another play that even takes place in another genre or a different um, time period. Yeah, but with that person's um, rhythm, right? Their agency, right? Um, and then creating that role for that person, mm-hmm. it's amazing when that happens. Yeah, no, it's wonderful. I mean, it's it's very very magical. Um, do you find, let's say, you've written something and you and you put it out there, and let's say it's it's in production mode. And an actor, because I was talking with a couple of other, because I think you are the third playwright that I've talked to. Scott Munson and mm-hmm. Christine has been on. And I talked about the respect that actors have for living playwrights. Usually, if you do um, a play by Shakespeare or, let's say, um, Strindberg or, or, or Mayakovsky or something like that, you treat it as if it were the gospel, if it were the Bible. You know, you don't touch it. But let's say a living playwright who's right there. Do you have an actor say, hey, can you tweak this? Can you change the script? Can you change this line or whatever? Do you feel there are some actors who, let's say, don't respect your work? Like, listen, I've written it this way. Try to figure it out. And an actor's like, oh, come on. you know, th- Can you tweak it this way, that way? Right. I, I think it goes down to my <coughs> philosophy that theater is meant to be created by everyone involved. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that includes from playwright to actor. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I will do. I will listen to the actor, and if the actor – you know, has another take on yeah. that line, then I will listen to, well, why did you say it like that? Right. It's, it's, a, dire- it's a very directorial directorial <coughs> thing to say. Yeah. But um, that's some of the, that's part of the process that I've um, learned mm-hmm. through the process uh, of uh, evolving as a playwright. Yeah. Um, when we're going into produ- uh, production, yeah. and we have that first initial table read mm-hmm. with the cast. Yeah. Um, just listening to not only the actor, but also seeing what the director is saying, doing. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I want to work it together. Yeah. I, I, I've been in the situations where other playwrights says, no, you have to say it this way. Yeah. I am actually kind of the opposite. Okay. I want, I want the actor to feel that this role is them as well. Yeah, but I'm sure there are times where you've written a particular piece, a particular character, and you have something in mind. You have an objective in mind or whatever. And let's say a director or a, a char uh, uh, an actor may not be on the same page as you. Mm -hmm. um, so do you run into conflicts at all when it comes to that? Yes, and actually that has happened. But but this is like the first initial, sometimes the first table read. Mm-hmm. When they haven't gotten to a part onto why they are saying it like this, right? And that's when I will interject. You know what? It should be said like this because this is something this character is feeling. You'll find out later on, right? As you're saying it, and then mm -hmm. when that happens, goes, oh, this is why. Mm -hmm. But I, but as a director, uh, I mean, as a playwright, mm -hmm. and sometimes director, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's go with that feeling, and then let's try the, this other way. Mm -hmm. This is the blueprint. This is really what you know my intention but if, if i see it and it works mm -hmm. then it will work yeah um one of the first things actually i wrote with bindle stiff in 2003 uh-huh um it was this uh kind of whodunit kind of thing okay where uh you know this person uh has been reading this person's blog and this uh and the male character uh gets revenge on because she the other person is in an abusive relationship. Mm. So the other person finds out, you know, drops notes, drops hints about what this other person has been going through because mm. he's been reading her blog. Mm. And the director found it as a comedy. Hmm. And it worked. Something totally something <laughs> that I did not think it would be. Uh, yeah. Because then, you know, analyzing it, wow, well, 14 years later, um, it, it was the – how I love to write is like with characters, two dichotomies, one, you know, polar opposites from each other. Yeah. So if you think of a comedy with a tragedy, mm -hmm. um, in terms of how that would work. Right, right. And it did because you had the comedic, you know, beginning and then mm -hmm. you had this tragic ending. Yeah. And met in the middle. Yeah. It worked. And I think that's what, that what informed me of the process of trusting actors, trusting directors. But also sticking to your guns, if it doesn't feel right, then mm -hmm. I have the absolute right to say, no, you sh this shouldn't be. And I've – okay, I'm going to admit this. Um, mm -hmm. So I wrote a PCN one time for another university. Okay. Um, and they were going to take it in a totally different direction. Hmm. And I said no, and they had to write their own. Oh, and okay. that was further in the process. Yeah. Because I understood <coughs> then that was that was their conflict. Yeah, because it's your baby. I mean, this, this is my is, baby. Yeah. And, and, you know, you want people who take it, the director and the cast or whatever, to treat it with the care. I mean, this is Conrad's thing, and we want to make sure we have his vision. Exactly. And that's one of the things about working at Bindlestiff and working on Ensemble is that through the years we've developed a relationship. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's, that's a different kind of relationship between, you know, me as a, as a writer and then submitting it to, say, someplace in Utah. Yeah. When they would do it. Yeah. I think my – I think these conflicts would be different if, you know, I went there and said, no, you got my whole vision wrong. Then I would say, no, this has to be changed as opposed to Bendelstein <coughs> where I can actually work with them and I trust what they're doing. Yeah. Christine was talking uh, last um, – not last night but Friday night how she submitted a piece of work 
to, I think, in Connecticut, or it was somewhere on the, on the East Coast, and she didn't realize that they had switched the ending. They had taken out her ending up until she saw it on opening night, and oh. she was so pissed off, oh. as you can imagine. Oh, the pain. Yeah, I, yeah. I and, <laughs> and she's And, of course, it was too late for her to do anything about it, and she was like, well, I'll never work with those folks ever again. Yeah, and that's all you can do. Yeah. Um, there's a story that I heard. Uh, with Marsha Norman, I yeah. think it was for Night Mother, but it would have been another one of her productions. It was done in Russia, mm-hmm. so she went out there and she noticed that a lot of things, even though it was interpreted differently, mm-hmm. um, some of the beats were changed around, hmm. and some of the scenes were done too. And being Marsha, Marsha Norman mm-hmm. from uh, Yale, she uh, quickly put an end to that. Oh, yeah. And I think, and that, when it, that because that was one of the first stories that uh, alerted me on to the quote unquote power. Of the playwright, yeah, as opposed to like you know for TV or <coughs> any other medium. That's a very good point because you know in TV or whatever, basically you write it, you sell it to, you know, a television or a movie uh, production company, and basically that's it. Those are your rights. Uh, you don't have any, but you have a lot more power as a playwright. Have you ever thought about writing for television or writing for the movies or whatever, submitting a script? Yeah, actually, I I, I have just because. Um, from a Filipino American standpoint, I really haven't seen. I haven't seen that. anything. Yeah, to represent. Well, I mean, exactly. I, I got to well, turn it to ABS CBN or you know a Philippine channel. Thank you. To see anything. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, actually, the there have been you know there definitely has been Filipino American movies, but uh, one of the most presti- well noteworthy is uh, called the debut mm-hmm. uh, by uh, Jin Kaeyon, down in uh, L.A. Uh, they had um, what's his name Dante Bosco, okay, from Rufio from uh, from Hook. Okay. And his brothers were in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, but this was, I want to say, nineteen ninety four. Wow, something long like time that. ago. A yeah. long time ago. Yeah, forgive my memory if that's correct. But ever since then, I really haven't seen you know that many, and that spoke directly to Filipino American community. Yeah. So with that in mind, I would, yeah, I definitely would have thought about you know having, you know, Filipino American voices seen in other mediums. That's more public. Yeah, but of course you have more power uh, in theater uh, because you know you can control what what uh, what's being seen or whatever. But you and I are talking off the mic about YouTube. You know, you may think about uh, having a YouTube channel, or whatever. Have you delved into that at all? Yes, yes. Actually, I was working on it yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the very bare bones of uh, what does it take to get a YouTube channel done? Mm-hmm. Um, because as I was talking earlier about thirty-one plays in thirty-one days, so yeah. I have at least sixty-two. <laughs> oh, wow. plays that I've written yeah and you know and then some for other projects and as well as uh, for school mm-hmm. projects um, and they're still in the drawer I mean I've been fortunate to have you know a couple of them produced mm-hmm. which I'm very very thankful for but at the same time they haven't seen the light of day and I think it's I and I need to have because as I said as a playwright it's I see the work as meant to be shared yeah you know that's right um in a medium where you have people speak the words and people can watch you know the words happen Mm -hmm. and the venue that i see for this is uh through youtube so i set up my play uh, my channel called cons play space Um, cons cons play space cons play space Mm -hmm. Um, check it out folks yeah (laughs) there's nothing there yet But actually, the consplayspace.com goes to my blog, conradpanginibun.com, that has you know some of my musings about playwriting and everything like that, and my life journey as a playwright. So it funnels through there. But 
Yeah, so this is the next evolution. They're trying to create this YouTube channel that has, you know, these 10-minute plays mm -hmm. that has maybe like, tw like 20 with one. Yeah. Um, on your wall, there's a uh, one for stories high 12. Mm -hmm. So I definitely want to put that up on there. It's just the plays that I want to share but haven't found anybody to do them. And this is like 2000. Uh, I forgot how, what year that was. 12, uh, 12 13, I yeah. think 20, 20, uh, 2013. Yeah, so yeah. it's just to get – Get them out of the drawer. Get yeah. them out of the hard drive and share these pieces yeah, the, the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and I really haven't seen that many you know reads done this way yet. Yeah, I was thinking about technology. I mean, Norman and I were talking about how the Internet has made sort of a I, – I compare it to the Homestead Act of the 1860s where you had this vast amount of land and people back in the Lincoln administration could just move west and plant and, you know, create a future. And the Internet is sort of a digital landscape where, you know, it's still sort of the Wild West, and you can do all sorts of things. I mean, do you have, have you noticed that, um, I guess, um, you can do all sorts of things, I mean, on, on the Internet, like advertise and, oh, and produce and things yeah, like absolutely. that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And with this podcast, this right. to get information, get, you know, passion. Mm -hmm. out to people who are passionate about the same things, but they've just only been talking to themselves or to their, selves, to their other friends about these you know, subjects that we feel very right. passionate about. Right, yeah, people about. are into, into their little pockets, and it's, it's important to break people out and you know, like have people connect to you know, other things. Like you know, there may be someone who is not Filipino at all listening to this, and we can say, listen, come to Bendelstiff or you know, expose yourself to Philippine theater. You don't have to be Philippine to to appreciate it. I mean, I'm a black man, but I see a lot of parallels. Oh, absolutely, because at the at the end of the day, it's all about universal truths. That's right. About universal loves, about universal betrayals. Yeah, um, absolutely right. It's funny because one of the things I'm, I'm rereading right now mm -hmm. is Julius Caesar. Ah, yeah. Well, not because of the brouhaha that's happening at, you know, the That's right, theater. the Donald Trump thing, yeah. The, yeah, <laughs> it's Shakespeare of the Park, but yeah. um, it's, it's just... I just want to get back to the basic of story writing of, of plays about about this betrayal about this you know army general yeah you know and um, and when we get down to these universal truths, it's good to connect with people who have the same passion from the same point of view that you have. Right. So I mean, I'm thankful for this podcast mm -hmm. um, and thankful for this technology where we can do that. So we can you know there, there's somebody in. You know, in Texas, who feels this way but doesn't have their community? Right. This yeah. could be it. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's funny. Norman and I were talking about uh, Caesar, not necessarily because of the uh, the brouhaha and and the fact that you know it's it's a crazy time in in political life right now where liberals and and conservatives. I mean, there's always been this divide, but it's gotten really really polarized these days. I mean, do you have any thoughts about what's happening politically? Yeah, it's sad. <laughs> it is. It is incredibly. Sad how far we've grown apart. Mm -hmm. But here's my here's my kind of stance on it. We so we see all these federal, you know, programs mandates. We see what's happening to this country. Yeah. And one of the good things about living in the Bay Area is to say, you know what? Forget all that. We are a we are a part of our community. How can we make our community better? Right. How can we address you know those problems that are happening around the country mm -hmm. and have it boil down to us? Right. That we can do in the immediate. Instead of trying to worry about everything, uh, I think that w that came from my, I guess you could say my 
banning of watching CNN, NBC, <laughs> all those news programs that I did right after the election. Yeah. I was so – I was every <laughs> single day. I was watching what's Rachel Maddow have to say now. Yeah. Which, um, you know – uh, what everybody has to say on all these news organizations. It's, it's gotten to be a lot like Morton Downey Jr. and um, Jerry has. Springer. It has. It isn't news anymore. It's all about opinion. And it's like, yeah. well, that your opinion doesn't shape my opinion. Right. You know, or, or my world. Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's, I think, the byproduct of 24-7 news where it's not, I keep on mixing subjective and objective, but it's not objective news um, broadcasts anymore. You know, back in the day, you could listen to Walter Cronkite and knew it would be objective right down the middle. You would get the news, and you didn't have to question what Walter Cronkite said or Frank Reynolds or whoever it is. Right down the middle. And now it's you know it's back and forth and. Well, well also, I I believe it also depends on that person mm-hmm. because it, this, is, this is a crazy you know world that we live in we, because we are inundated with Facebook with Twitter where everything where it feels like everybody's opinion matters yeah instead of yours everybody's got to emote everybody's got to share their opinion yeah exactly and when everybody shares their opinion they will bound to change your opinion if you don't have one if you don't have a strong base in your you know moral uh, and ethical beliefs yeah because you're having other other people change what you think you really believe in right right yeah you're, you're absolutely right i remember i'm looking at a poster um there was a guy named mike ward he's not around with us anymore and he did a play um a series of plays summer's shorts crossed wires and it was done in around 2004 okay. as a result of he was trying to i guess get people to vote for john Kerry. he was running against george w bush but it was political theater it was theater designed to make people think about what's happening in the political climate and to sort of make a change. Have you delved into political theater at all? Yes. Yes. Actually, um, here's my plug. Go ahead, go uh, ahead. Coming in in October, uh, I've written my first, well, my second full-length play called Welga. Okay. Welga in Spanish and in Filipino means strike. All right. So um, this uh, takes place in the Soma, mm-hmm. and it revolves around um, labor rights issues. Okay. Around, you know, so it's very agitpop, but uh, the politics that happens in a school system mm-hmm. when funds are, you know, taken away from from art programs. Okay. So this, you know, kid wants to pursue art, and his immigrant mo- mother wants him to graduate. So there's where these two American dreams, two American dreams clash. Yeah. Um, but definitely it is based, but it's also around her labor, you know, issue with, mm-hmm. you know, some of her uh, labor rights being taken away. Ah. And how can we as community mm-hmm. combat that? Yeah, how we can com- you know combine our forces and to unite mm-hmm. um, over something that that should be universal, right? Yeah, that that sounds fantastic. Yeah, so and but I definitely want to write more, you know, politi- political stuff. Yeah, political and social conscious and social activity mm-hmm. kind of work because we, I don't want to write into a void of, um, you know. Who's doing who and who loves who and stuff like that, which is still it, valid. It's, got, it's still. gotten very bubblegum, very comedy. I was making, uh, I was lamenting uh, last with uh, Norman on Friday mm-hmm. how a lot of the community theater that I see, whether it be at the exit or whatever, or like uh, the um, the fringe festivals or whatever, a lot of young writers they get into this um, almost sitcom or Saturday Night Live th- thing, like fun, 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 parody, 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 and it's become a cliche all in itself and 
we were talking about Julius Caesar, and there's not a lot of tragedy or serious theater as if no one wants to be bummed out anymore. Like, hey, I want to, I don't want to think, you know, this is about entertainment. I mean, let me just veg out or whatever. And I kind of, I, I like the seriousness of live theater where it can engage you mm-hmm. and get you to think. So I, I agree with you. I think we need more of that. Right. But I think I believe, and this is kind of my writing style, is to, there are important issues that we should reflect on that we can make a difference about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's how to tell these you know, stories to, to create action. Right. Um, my style is to involve comedy. Uh, one example is I wrote this play called Esperanza Means Hope mm-hmm. that has to do with um, domestic violence in the Asian American community. Wow. Um, and so I wrote it with the main character, the the, the survivor mm-hmm. of this uh, violence that's happening. Did Jackie play the lead role in that female role? Um, I'm trying to uh, – maybe I'm think mixing it with another. The very first story's high – there was a Philippine American. There was a Philippine woman. She was actually from the Philippines, named Jackie. I want to say mm-hmm. um, it was. God, I wish I knew her uh, last name. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like uh, maybe I'm getting mixed up with something else. But uh, I thought she was the lead actress. Where there was some domestic violence going on, right. and she basically left her. She left her husband. Hmm. Um, oh, I had to hope so. Yeah. But I don't know about th- that issue. Well, this was uh, produced at uh, Sacramento City College at okay, UC to- Davis. Okay, totally different. Yeah, yeah, okay. At UC Davis. Actually, there was a, uh, a person named Jackie who did direct the UC Davis uh, production. Okay. And it also happened at Sac State. So um, it happened in that area because yeah. this was uh, commissioned okay. by um, a nonprofit called um, My Sister's House, okay. uh, which is a which is a uh, organization that helps – uh, Asian Americans, actually, especially in their community, deal with domestic violence in their uh, mm-hmm. families. Yeah. But um, I mean, so I wrote it with this person as a singer mm-hmm. songwriter at a coffee shop, and mm-hmm. it had comedy because, oh, nice. yeah, because I knew because this is such a heavy topic, mm-hmm. and one way that I see to enter this this topic is through um, comedy. It's kind of like you know the old adage of the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Yeah, or, you know, adding a little uh, – um, I had an ex-girlfriend who yeah. would drink um, rum, and, rum and Coke. So you had to add a little Coke to the rum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Get to that, that meat and stuff. So yeah. – but I, I think that's one of – that production, mm-hmm. that helped me um, shape my voice mm-hmm. into knowing who I wanted to um, communicate with and the kind of stories that I wanted to tell. Yeah. Or the community. And I think it, it it goes with age. Yeah, I was going to mention age. Also, I wanted to – there are actually three subjects that I wanted to touch on. The business. How do you uh, – obviously, you're very good at creating and, and writing. Did you have to educate yourself with the business, like how you get your work out there, how you get grants and things like that? Oh, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And it helps to have great producers who believe in your work mm-hmm. um, to also help them out with – you know the grant process, but as a um, a writer as well, <laughs> I mean one of the goals as a as a writer, just any theater artist, is to get paid for your work. Well, sure. Um, one of the things that's happening right now for playwrights and our opportunities is that there's so many opportunities to submit your plays around the country. Yeah. But some of them actually ask you to pay a fee so that you can um, submit your play in. Sometimes I feel like it's a mill. Like instead of you getting paid. 
they're trying to feed off of you so that they can get paid as if that's the business exactly yeah and um unfortunately i'm also part of the dramatist guild and we that's one of the things we definitely say no to oh good we um and, and but i understand the other way too because if you're a playwright and you have words and you don't and you're not lucky to have a community that we have mm -hmm. um some of those words will never be heard until unless you kind of like pay to play uh yeah yeah and you know, that's, uh that's the rub that's Norman and I were talking about that on another podcast where a lot of theater companies, even small theater companies, will not take a chance on a new playwright. They're like, listen, no. I don't know if we're going to be able to bring in the audience and I'm not going to invest 10000 whatever dollars. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, that's that's a very real possibility. But um, but once you, you know, it should be your work and trust in your work and, mm -hmm. you, and, you know, try to submit as you can to, you know, people who don't pay and then your you know your work will get out there to and you'll have enough confidence to keep writing mm -hmm. and to um go into this business so yeah so i'm just lucky to have um people to write grants with mm -hmm. um because they know more of the you know the more of the lay of the land but that's important because um i i am with this uh a program with theater bay area called atlas mm -hmm. and they for playwrights, they explain some of the ways you can, you know, kind of get your plays produced through these grant opportunities. Atlas, okay, cool. Yeah. We'll have to uh, plug that. Please, please, on uh, Theater Bay Area. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just one avenue and try to, you know, get your play out there. Yeah. Well, another way is to just make your play happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sometimes you just can't, you can't worry about the business. You just have to create first and then worry about it later, you know. Yeah, self-production, as, as a writer, that's one of the hardest things I did. Uh, even though I was uh, I was commissioned by my sister's house, I self-produced that play. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, and uh, they gave me a budget, but mm -hmm. just to try to figure out how I'm going to pay all my actors, yeah. how to pay my musicians, right. how to play, um, the, the space, and just coordinating everything. But that was one of the hardest things I ever did, yeah. is self-producing yeah. your work. But that's sometimes that's what you need to do. Yeah. And I swear I never do it again. And I'm actually a, an assistant producer for Welga that is coming up. Yeah. Now, do you have a day job or is this your thing? I do have a day job. My uh, my day job is a, is a web content developer okay. for BananaRepublic.com. Oh, right on. So I do their websites. <laughs> and that's the thing. I, I love doing that. I am a coder. Uh huh. I, I but you're I, a good coder. You're not one of these. Uh, you know, there's a, a a bit of a love hate relationship with some coders and some dot com folks because the gentrification. You know, people have problems with gentrification. Oh. It's like all these individuals who work at these companies. You know, they make a lot of money, but they're outpricing a bunch of other folks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, and I try to uh, not totally you know justify it. I like my work. I've I've I've. Yeah. Well, you I've don't, worked you don't, you don't work, work for Uber. You don't work for you no, know, or Dropbox or yeah. you know, the, those other issues. Yeah. But at the other time, I am an artist because mm -hmm. that's who I am. Even though I go to sleep as an artist, I don't go to sleep as a coder. Right. Um, so I go a little Robin Hooding and you know, and saying that okay, I take my salary, the one that I've earned for this job, mm -hmm. and to create opportunities for other actors. Right. You know, through these podcasts or through you know producing something else. Right. Yeah, the same so thing. I have to do. Yeah, same thing that I do. I mean, you know, I work for the DA's office, but right. my real love is, you know, either writing or, you know, acting and, and all of that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As a director, I mean, um, is it's I'm sure it's a different mindset 
because you know you can just be a writer and just write the stuff, give it to a director, and then that's it. You're out of it. Uh, it's a different mindset as a director. I mean, um, how many how many how many productions have you directed? Mm, two, uh, four? Oh, just I four. Yeah. Wow, I thought wow. I thought it would a lot more. No, no. Uh, well, I think one of the issues is that I want to focus on being a writer. Yeah, I hear you. You know, um, and there are so many amazing directors that I love working with. To, yeah. That, who just who loves who love to direct and to be you know yeah. that person that I get to share my vision with. So what, was it difficult it. being a director? I mean, were there things you had to sort of learn? Did it give you a different perspective as to how to write? Oh, definitely. Um, again, with Stories High, because they offer different classes with acting, mm-hmm. directing, and writing, I, mm-hmm. I was fortunate to have a you know an opportunity to be all three, mm-hmm. be an actor, to be a director, but always within mind the focus to be a better writer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so as a writer, I know, like as an actor – I know that what my goal is, what my want is in a scene in this in this beat, mm-hmm. because, and I take that as a writer. So as I write, I write it for an actor. It goes, oh, this is you know what this actor will want to do, so that they will be looking for it. Right. Um, and same thing with a director, um, with with different beats, beat choices. So I'll write with kind of that in mind. Yeah. So um, yeah, it totally helps um, to do all of that to serve me as a better writer and to be a better collaborator with my theater players. I would think the hardest thing as a, a, a new director, I've never directed before in my life, but just I'm always amazed at how some directors um, handle um, blocking. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, did you did you get any uh, out of go coaching as far as just how to do naturalized blocking, that sort of stuff? Um, no, because I'm uh, also a graphic designer. Okay. I went to art. I went to uh, art school. I graduated with my BFA from the Academy of Art University. Awesome. And then I got my uh, MFA in playwriting from San Francisco State. Okay. Um, so design wise, um, it also it always helped me to to block. Mm-hmm. Um, and to see how movement works. Yeah. I, uh, I did motion graphics. Okay. So, um, so it was good in that way, but I think. How I grew as an actor, I mean, as a writer, was through directors who knew how to question their actors. Yeah. Like through table reads. Because so I think with intention through um, what is discussed during these initial table reads, that um, that informed the the blocking, mm-hmm. the natural blocking. Yeah. Um, the first <laughs> – one of the very first things I ever directed. I also belong to this uh, theater organization in Sacramento called Sinactala. Okay. Um, which is a Filipino American theater company. Okay, cool. There for their community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the first things I ever directed, I was straight, just blocking. Mm-hmm. You move there, you move there, you move there. Yeah, you know, and it was like I could see it because it's spatial. It's you know. Yeah, you, ha- you had it all in your head. I could see it in my head, and there's other productions where because I did motion graphics. Yeah, I would do charts. That move like different squares and blocks, uh-huh. so that the actors can see this is where you move, this is where you move. Oh, that's awesome! It is, but it isn't natural because then I just became a. a I felt like I became a director uh-huh. who is, um, who is caged in this is what this should look like. Yeah, but you can always change it, right? And that's exactly why I love actors because <laughs> this is why, why do why do I have to move this way? Is because uh, this person exits and enters this way. Right, so, right. Yeah. So that so that informed um, me as a not only as a writer but also as a director. 
Yeah, you know, it's as an actor, I'm always amazed at the different styles of different directors. Like, there's one director who has it all in her head, and she has it all mapped out, and she's like, okay, listen, before you even get on the stage, this is what you're going to do, this, 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 but she'll change it as it goes on. And then there's another director who won't block anything at all and just says, listen, just move. I'll tell you if we're going to keep it or not. Exactly, and that's probably why I, 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 I let them do what their magic is. Yeah. And it's and it, that's one of the good things about being a working actor mm-hmm. in the Bay Area is that we get to experience so many different visions, how so many different directors yeah. direct, how many different actors do what. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, then the other spectrum of that is like, ooh, I do not want to work with this director. Ooh, I do not want to <laughs> sure, work with this actor sure, again. Sure, sure. And, 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 and it's good that we have this opportunity to have that, you know, that opportunity to yeah, work with so many different, you mm-hmm. know, artists. Yeah. So this is good. So that, yeah. yeah. So that's why I'm trying to do, I always feel that my goal as a writer uh, who tries to get things, you know, produced is mm-hmm. to be able to collaborate with other theater actors, yeah. workers. I did have a question about about age, and it's something that I asked Christine and Jean. As you've get gotten older, do you find that your writing has changed? Yes, in the uh, yes, in the way that as we were talking about earlier about creating social change. Yeah, because I don't think I, uh, because when I was younger, my my world was a lot smaller. Sure, and it was just about me and my friends and maybe my family. Now I'm thinking about me, my friends and family in this community that we have to live in, in this world that we have to live in, and how other things will affect us. Yeah. So it's important that, you know, my writing changes for that. Yeah. With, but it also has to include, but I don't want to exclude anybody from mm-hmm. this message. Sure. Um, going through the MFA program is also academia, mm-hmm. where you have to write term papers with, you know, you know polysyllabic words and everything like that. that yeah. They don't really cut to this universal truth. Sure. So, sure. Um, so as I said, I want to still create this, you know, the comedy vibe mm-hmm. with this social justice vibe that I, that I could only have with age. Yeah. Do you find that? Um, I always worry, and I, this is something that I talked with Christine, because I've done a lot of songwriting. Because my dad used to be a um, a uh, singer. He's still a singer, but he used to sing soul uh, back in the seventies and eighties, and, and I used to write for him when I got to be a teenager up to, you know, uh, when I became an adult. But I always worried as I get older that my my ideas would sort of run out. You know, when you're young, you have tons of ideas. And as you get older, and of course you have your day job and bills to pay and all that stuff, I worry that I'm going to run out of ideas. Do you worry about that? I do, I all the time. But um, harking back to 31's and pl- 31, 31 plays in 31 days, mm-hmm. that's where you have to keep generating ideas. Yeah. Because if you don't, then you won't reach your objective of writing 31 things. So that was my main thing. So how am I going to write, you know, these ideas? And then just that as a jumping point to am I ever going to run out of ideas? Mm-hmm. Um, one of the biggest things as a playwright, yeah, how, why I write is to think of a question and write into that question. Yeah. And, you know, create these, this theater, this, this world mm-hmm. to explore that question. So as long as I have questions about where we live, mm-hmm. how we live, yeah. why we live, mm-hmm. I don't think I'll you know ever run out of things to write about. That's and cool. Yeah. yeah, but it's different you know than songs because I, I, I write you know music as well. I haven't mm-hmm. done it in a while, but I, I totally understand that that question because I wouldn't you know you have a three minute head of song. 
I'll show you, know, you yeah. can think of mm -hmm. and try to you know keep writing more and more things. Yeah. But, and I think that's my evolution as a writer too, because mm -hmm. I started off as writing a whole bunch of ten minutes. Uh huh. Now I'm writing like these full lengths that yeah. won't stop. It's like, no, what happened to my ten minute plays that I used to like write? Yeah. And it's like, just churn them out and like I'm yeah. done. I'm sure it could be a tapestry. Like you write a ten minute piece about I don't know, it could be one scene, and then you know another ten minute piece could be another scene of that same play. Right, and that's actually what happened towards the end of doing the thirty one plays in thirty one days. It's like two different scenes that will eventually fit into this one mm -hmm. one compendium yeah. kind of play. But it's, we're artists. We just yeah. have to keep creating at the bottom line. Yeah, I totally hear you. What do you think about the state? Because you've been doing this for a while. What do you think of the state of theater, especially here in the Bay Area? It's getting tougher and tougher to get people into uh, the theater. A lot, you know, uh, I, I mentioned ESPN laid off a bunch of folks, uh, I think, a month or so ago. Yeah. Because people aren't watching TV anymore. People are very seldom watching movies anymore. I mean, you know, there are blockbusters like your, your average um, um, superhero flick that comes out. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people are watching YouTube. They're, they're doing other things. Yep. And it's getting tougher and tougher for, to get people, especially the millennials, to walk into a theater and watch live theater. Absolutely. Do you see that being a danger? Um. I don't know if it's a danger, but I also can kind of look at it as an opportunity to get this other, to create work, to initially get this new group coming to theater and expose them to maybe longer work. Mm -hmm. um, and I've totally noticed the, 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 uh, the span of what produce, what theaters are turning out. I'm seeing um, no intermissions. Mm -hmm. I'm seeing 80 to 90 minute plays. Mm. I'm seeing comedies. Yeah. Um, uh, so that's what I'm seeing to try to appeal to this yeah. new audience. And I've also seen theater that involve that interacts interactive stuff. Yeah, exactly. And that's um, actually that's kind of where I'm going. That has um, the play I've written, um, The Perfect American, has is very very uh, heavy on um, audience uh, participation. Oh, okay. Um, which is good because I want to create this this space. Mm -hmm. Think of um, the Great Comet, 1814. Went on Broadway where they do it in a round, and you know they have singers and dancers interacting with people at the tables around them. Oh, cool! Um, uh, I, I think that's that's one direction where where plays are going. Mm -hmm. But you know, it, I don't know if, if it's in your case. I don't know how many people are in my case, but I'm just going to state my case. Sure. Whenever I go to a play in the in the Bay Area, is and I, I swear I try to not do this, mm -hmm. but being a person of color. It's like an automatic knee-jerk reaction to count how many people of color are in the audience. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. You know, and as long as I don't see as many people being represented, mm -hmm. that I know that I want to see people, the diversity of an audience be the same percentage of diversity are in a BART car. Yeah, and of course it comes with um, publicity and how you market it and what plays being done. Like I've worked at the DMT, the Douglas Morrison Theater. Yes. And I'm oh. very happy that they do cater to minority actors you know i was bill starbuck i didn't i never thought i didn't even participate in the regular audition because i was like there's no way i can be bill starbuck that's crazy bill star that's the adaptation of rainmaker by mm -hmm. n richard nash back in the 1920s about mm -hmm. this guy in the midwest who's going to make it rain for this right. small town whatever i'm like can a black man do that but i was cast and it was fantastic but of course there were only white folks watching. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, exactly. And it's in Hayward, and I understand it's very tough to get folks right. in, you know, the, the Bay Area, this, the city, to go all out to Hayward or whatever. But, um, but you had that opportunity. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. That's also another thing. Yeah. But, um, 
Yeah, and so that's one of my goals too is to try to get you know more people of color into the theater. Yeah. Now try to figure out how mm-hmm. you know. I mean, we uh, Bindlestiff has our niche. I yeah. mean, we are created for our community by our community. Mm-hmm. But just just in general, it'd be cool. I mean, Berkeley represents that. You know, when I look around, it's oh, I like the diversity in here. But you go to other places, it's mm-hmm. like mm, not maybe not. But yeah. I don't know if it's in programming or if yeah. it's in you know what people write for those audiences. But as a person, as a play, as a writer of color, I'd love to try to try to help bridge that distance. Mm-hmm. Well, Bindlestuff has done a very good job in, in casting minorities. I mean, you know, like they've casted me and uh, Lamont Rigel, who, you know, uh, acted yeah. in a Bindlestuff production, and he's a fantastic actor. Shame he's not in the Bay Area anymore. A lot of the equity actors, they'll do work here in the Bay Area, and then they'll jump off to bigger oh, yeah. venues. Um, yeah. But I think Bindlestuff has done a fantastic job in, in doing minority, other minority-type plays, as well as the Philippine stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I think that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. I'm glad that um, we have a space to do that, but there's other spaces that, you know, are doing that. And I, that's one of the places where I'd love to see Bay Area go to for, for our mm-hmm. uh, demographics. Bay yeah. Area is so special to live here. So right, exactly. And theater for that. And you see a lot of companies like the Lorraine Hansbury, and you know that's, okay, that's yeah. black theater. And you hate to see these boxes where, okay, so there's traveling Jewish theater, Jewish theater. Lorraine Hansberg, Black Theater, Bendelstiff, Philippine Theater. It doesn't have to be that way. No, no, and, and that's why I'm, I'm glad to see uh, other companies like Theater First mm-hmm. out in Berkeley. They're they're pretty diverse in you know what they cast. I mean, what they what they what they offer. Mm-hmm. Um, Healers right now, I think it just closed. Oh, let me see what's that. Um, but they uh, they one of the first ones was uh, Baguio by um, Rob Dario. Oh, nice. Um, that was a you know, multi-ethnic cast as well. Mm-hmm. And Crystal Piamonte, she was in that. That's um, right. That was a uh, in Infinite Ache, right? No, this was uh, in Baguio at Theater First, but Infinite okay. Ache was just that just closed this past week. Right, right, exactly. I've been, I've been plugging that. Would yeah, tried. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think this, there's still opportunities for us, you know, to create the kind of theater that we want to see. Well, I'm glad to see you're not discouraged. I mean, I, the, no. Norman and I were talking about how as you get older. You make it discouraged. Like I've seen a lot of actors and directors and even theater companies who have tried, tried, tried to build an audience. And then they just say, the hell with it. I can't do it. I just give up. Right. And then they just move on to other things, mm-hmm. totally untheater related. It's good to see you have not given up. You still hold on to the dream of yeah. pushing the dreams out there. Well, yeah. Being, I, I've had – I've been doing this for, for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. I just I, – I, there's so many opportunities for me to, to say no. I mean – I just can't. I don't know why. I don't know how. And I feel just so optimistic. Yeah. Very optimistic. Does it surprise you as you look back? I mean, did you think when you first started this, wow, I'm, I'm still doing And did you know that it would last so long? No. <laughs> Not at all. I thought, because, well, that's the thing. Um, I mentioned that the, at, I like bookends. Yeah, so um, yeah, when yeah. we started, we were talking about PCNs because that's where I started, you know, mm-hmm. being a writer. I just yeah. wrote this this play and just did it mm-hmm. um and that's kind of where i see and with no training whatsoever now i'm at i won't say near the tail end because i think i'm still at the beginning of this writing playwriting journey mm-hmm. of where i want to go yeah um but i just i guess because of the naivete mm-hmm. about you know just wanting to write a story yeah. and not really thinking about the the spectrum about the you know what's happening in the future mm-hmm. uh, 
I, I don't know. I feel like I'm a little puppy dog. I'm just going to keep writing and with the blinders on and not to be discouraged because I want – this is something that I want and I want other people to want too. Yeah. Um, and I hope it happens. And that well, keeps me going. I mean, it is happening. I mean, you know, you're still producing and, you know, I can tell. It's not just for you. I mean, it's not just a self-serving thing for you, but – you know, you service other actors. Other actors are like, oh, wow, Conrad's written something. You know, let me jump to, you know, do that. This is an opportunity for me. Absolutely. Companies, you know, like Bendelstuff will say, oh, he's got a play. Fantastic. You know, we have a – this is a part of our season. Right. So it's like you're feeding into a community. You're contributing right. Right. to this. And, and that's that's one of the, the, the glorious wonders of Bendelstuff. It's not just me. I have yeah, our artistic director, Irene Almario. Mm-hmm. Aureen is fantastic. The Almarios are fantastic. The Almarios are fantastic. Yeah. Anyways, the very first play that I wrote, the one I told you about that I wrote as, you know, I thought it was a tragedy, but it was a comedy. Yeah. Aureen directed that. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. that was, was that 14 years ago or something like that? Yeah. So I'm just saying that um, our community at Bindle Step is amazing. Our artists are amazing. Mm-hmm. And, and because of Stories High, we want to give back to the community so that we just don't end with us. Mm-hmm. We w- I want more playwrights, uh, specifically Filipino playwrights, um, to write our stories because I don't want to make it feel like I'm just me, um, but like full length. Um, so that's kind of like we want to leave a legacy so that if in this lifetime I don't see, you know, theater Bay Area change to be as diverse as I can, mm-hmm. I'd love for that generation to, to experience that, to yeah. have that hope, to keep carrying on. Absolutely. Um, in the sky. Yeah. Well, <laughs> hey, you know, it's it's totally possible, and we're reading, we're hitting the uh, one hour mark. Uh, I do want to number one thank you so much for you know coming on, and I want to plug uh, if if there's some young playwrights and even young actors, young directors who want to sort of get into it, but you don't know how do I get into theater? Bindlestiff Studios is a fantastic place to go. You can go to I think the website is called Bindlestiff Bindlestiffstudio.org. Bindlestiffstudio.org. If you want to contri- if you want to learn how to direct, if you want to learn how to write plays, or if you're a young actor and you want to build up your resume, come to BindlestiffStudios.org and be a part of Stories High. Please, and we also have our Facebook presence, so just search Bindlestiff Studio on Facebook, and then we're there. Uh, we have a couple of productions coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, July 13th, uh, we open, or July 16th, we open with uh, Tagalog 2017. Um, it's a series of three one-acts. About um, that are all in Tagalog, mm-hmm. the national language of the Philippines. Yeah, and it's amazing because um, I I grew up here. I was born in Monterey, California. Um, the reason I know uh, Tagalog is because uh, my mom and dad would yell at me, so <laughs> I would understand <laughs> that. Um, but it's one thing to you know grow up you know listening or watching so much media in English than watching these stories done in a language that connects to your ancestry. Um, it's quite amusing. So that opens up in July 13th. And after that, we have Stories High, a production of that. And then in October, we have Welga that opens up there. Yep. And you also have – did you say you also have a theater piece that's not at Bindlestiff that's being produced oh. somewhere else? Yes. Just plug that. Yes. Thank you. Um, I am very fortunate to uh, be a writer with uh, three of my people in my cohort from San Francisco State uh, on a production called Life, A Life on the Ocean Wave that opens July – Oh, July 6th at Exit Theater. Uh, directed Exit. By right at on. Exit. Yeah. And it's directed by Stuart Bosell. And uh, we have an amazing cast. Mm-hmm. And it's um, actually about life on the sea. 
So we have sea shanties that the audience can sing in. Um, I wrote a piece about mermaids, which is a little wacky, which is fun <laughs> because it's something that I get to explore. Uh, it's about a transgendered mermaid um, oh, okay. who um, who befriends a an old sailor looking for his lost love on the sea. Wow, that is fantastic. Now, is that as a exit main stage or stage left? or That is at exit stage left. Okay, fantastic. That's uh, July 6th, yeah. so please come see that. And I want to plug your, uh, your, your blog, your website. Yes, it's uh, just Conrad, P-A-N-G-A-N-I-B-A-N dot com. But if you go to Con's Playspace, C-O-N-S-P-L-A-Y-S-P-A-C-E dot com, Con's Playspace, then you'll just direct right there. And, and, I, and I will add a, um, a URL, so you can just click on it, and you can go straight there. So that's it. Conrad, thank you so much, man. Thank you very much. All right. And we are.